Welcome to the Lost Boys Podcast. I'm Tandy, and today we're joined by a new friend. Say hello, new friend. Hello, new friend. <laughs> uh, this is Harlan Fear. Harlan uh, is a good friend of mine who used to play Magic with me way back in the day in the before times, but now is getting super into Lorcana, and uh, we actually had a nice bonding moment uh, this past weekend, and I think I found my new co-host for the Lost Boys Podcast. Say hi. Yeah, so Todd and I were hanging out over the weekend, and we were talking a lot about Lorcana, and yeah, we kind of just hit it off, and we've been friends for a long time, so we figured we'd give it a shot. Yeah, man, I'm I'm super excited to have you here. Uh, for those of you who are fans of Bomat Courier, I just want to say that nothing super bad happened to Bomat. He's going through some tumultuous life changes, and uh, we decided to it was best for him to take a step back. But we're glad to to fill that role with Mr. Harlan, who is. By all accounts, just an, an insane magic player. Why don't you tell the people uh, some of your accolades from uh, back on like the SCG tour days? So um, I played SCGs for a long, long time. I started when I was probably 18 or so, 17, something like that, and played for a long time. Started to have a lot of success um, pretty close to, you know, COVID era. It was like 2019 when I really started to pop off. Um but yeah, I have uh, five SCG Open wins, uh, I think a Classic win, and a couple other their random like Team Eternal Showdown format wins and stuff like that. Heck yeah. Um, a whole slew of top eights, and yeah. Yeah, I know uh, you were, me and you were on a team together with uh, Ross Miriam in Indianapolis a few years back. And if I'm not mistaken, I've actually told this story a couple times now, because when I played with you in that event... I didn't realize that you were just like the first person to play Minsk and Boo in a legacy event. And now Minsk and Boo is just like maybe top three planeswalkers ever printed. And I, it was just brand new. I'd never seen it before. I thought Harlan was just playing his four color pile of junk. Yeah. So uh, Minsk and Boo was definitely a fun card. Uh, <laughs> I definitely like to kind of go against the, the grain uh, with everybody else, which is why I'm really excited for Lorcana. You know, it's a, uh, a new evolving game and format so it opens a lot of avenues for me you know to okay this is what everybody else is doing let me do this instead and get my competitive edge yeah i mean i know for for me specifically it's been really fun just building new decks and trying out different strategies uh i know that i've been using a lot of pixelborn to play uh, are you interested in pixelborn testing have you been using pixelborn at all yeah, I'm actually almost exclusively Pixelborn. Nice. Um, yeah, I really kind of I got latched on to Lorcana right about the same time as you did, actually. Um, like Gen Con weekend, I wasn't at Gen Con, but I was, you know, really on Twitter that weekend and seeing all the hype around all the Lorcana stuff. And so I had downloaded Pixelborn and started playing. Um, and my local store here does do a Lorcana league, but. It's really popular here, so the product went really quick. Yeah, it did. Um, even though, you know, our store is really good about not charging crazy high for it, but keeping it, you know, so that they aren't just selling at MSRP. They're still making that bit, and it's not getting flipped again. Um, but they do restrict who can buy how much. And so I wasn't really able to get that much. Um, so I've been almost exclusively on Pixelborn, especially when, you know, a lot of my more competitive focused card gaming friends are you know spread across the country so yeah. it definitely makes it a lot easier one thing plan. one of the things we did playing uh on the scg tour and on the pro tour and grand prix and stuff for magic the gathering was we actually just grew a pretty strong friend group of players who are very good but like you said don't really live that close to each other and we're all used to playing online games together anyway and so playing pixelborn even though it's a little buggy even though it's hard to like one-on-one -on -one your friends sometimes because of disconnects and stuff it's been a boon uh, for being able to just physically play games of lorcana especially with cards that i don't own yet and are hard to find physically you know uh stitch rockstar is one that i have zero copies of and all of my pixelborn decks have four copies of them so <laughs> it is what it is yeah, that's been something that's uh, been a little jarring for me in like local play when I do play um, locally is people will be talking about how hard it is to get a specific card. And I didn't even know the rarities of all the <laughs> cards because Pixelborn, you just have everything. So like yeah. the rarity doesn't matter to me. Um, but yeah, as far as the, the program being buggy, it it has its moments, but it 
honestly reminds me more of Magic Online than anything else. <laughs> no, I'm in the same boat. It's like it look, it's one dude with uh in a basement with a box of scraps, right? He's he's doing the Iron Man thing and it's working. You know, there's more people in the Pixelborn Discord than there is the official Lorcana Discord, which is pretty wild. I know there's always people in there looking for games and stuff. And, you know, we talk a lot about Pixelborn right now when we talk about Lorcana because it's just the most accessible way to play. And especially for those of us who are extremely competitively focused. And uh, and I'm, I'm really glad it exists. Otherwise, I don't think I'd be playing nearly as much as I am. Yeah, I absolutely probably wouldn't be playing at all because I wouldn't be able to get cards. And, you know, my friends probably wouldn't be that interested because they wouldn't be able to get cards. All right. Well, that's Harlan. That You know, welcome to the show. And uh, it's good to have you here. And uh, we'll be, you know, a lot more smooth in our talks and stuff the more we, we get to chat and, and whatnot. But uh, before we get into anything super deep in terms of competitive play, I want to ask you specifically a few things about Lorcana and like your introduction to the game. So uh, you said you haven't been able to get many physical cards. Do you have any physical cards? Yes, I have. Um, so I kind of... Uh cracked the system a little bit for our locals early. Um, our local store limited you to two starter decks per person. Mm -hmm. um, so everybody would get, you know, one of two of them, one each. Um, but, you know, me being the competitive person, I was like, I'm going to get two of the same one. Oh, yeah. And then my deck's going to be way better than everybody else's. <laughs> um, so me and my uh, girlfriend both each got two of two of them. So I have uh, two copies of the uh, Ruby Emerald starter deck and two copies of the amber amethyst starter um, all right that's pretty much all i have for physical cards so uh your deck that you're playing right now what's your favorite card out of your double starter deck that you've built uh it's definitely the seven cost uninkable dr facilier which is Yo. basically the best card out of the starters it's really powerful, and uh, I noticed when I was playing with the Amethyst starter, if you didn't have Dr. Facilier, your deck didn't really do a lot because your characters are all just kind of small and don't quest for very much. And the goal, I guess, was to just get under your opponent and, and rush them with little things, but there's so few payoffs in the deck outside of just a couple brooms and Mickey and the Dr. Facilier. You just get outclassed by the, the Ruby Emerald deck pretty hardcore most of the time, and uh, even the the other one, the Sapphire one, is not so easy to beat. So, yeah, I mean, doubling up, definitely getting two Dr. Facilier is the right, the right move. Yeah, absolutely. You also end up with four brooms and two Mickeys as a result. So your deck ends up being... You know, it's certainly not on the power level of an actual constructed deck, but it definitely it feels like a good budget deck, um, which is great. That um, that's high praises for that's the what we need right now. Yeah, yeah. Everyone exactly. needs everyone needs like semi competitive decks and just smushing two starter decks. Starter decks together is a great way to do it. Actually, one of the Lost Boys, uh, Zach Weaver, he's been writing articles for our Patreon. You might want to check that out. It's patreon.com slash lostboyslor. But one of his very first articles that he wrote was how to get a better collection, like how to create a deck out of a small collection, including how to build your decks by just buying two starter decks. And it was like that, plus natural upgrade paths whenever you can actually open some of the better rares for your archetype and things like that. Very useful early on for us when we were, when we were just getting started. Now we've all been playing Pixelborn. We're like you know, chiseled stone or whatever. We are carved like the Greek gods. Our decks are four of every legendary thing and no one's going to stop us. And once we actually physically get the cards, we're going to rule the world. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm really, really excited to play paper Lorcana against somebody sitting directly across from me with all the busted cards and, Everybody just gets to smash their Elsas and their Maleficents and everything into each other. It's going to be great. Yeah. All right. So uh, let's get into a little bit of the nitty gritty of the competitive side of things. So since you've been playing so much on Pixelborn, I think the majority of your games are going to be against decks that are at least better than the average deck in person just for physical card availability. But what is uh, the color combination or what one deck have you had the most success with so far on your uh, Lorcana playtesting? Um, so definitely blanket most success has been with uh, Ruby Amethyst, which probably comes to 
the shock of no one who's been following competitive results at all. Um, I definitely, especially when I start my competitive process, I like to start with the default best deck, you know, and learn everything I can about that deck, how that deck should be built if I do want to play that in whatever event I am playing, but also so that I know where it's at and how to play it so that I can start picking it apart with a new deck to build to attack it. So um, speaking of Ruby Amethyst, like you said, it is one of the best, if not the best constructed deck uh, on the market right now. Um, what about your build is specifically different? Is there anything that you've discovered that you'd like to share with the audience about how to build the deck or what you're trying to beat? Yeah, so um, one of the first things I noticed with the deck is everybody is really high on the card The Queen, which I was initially, too, just without playing any games. Mm -hmm. um, but the more games I played, the kind of the worse that card felt. Um, it's a five drop that doesn't do anything the turn you play it, so it's really bad against Dragon Breath. Um, or maybe Dragon Fire. I Dragon always mix that one up. It's okay. Oh, um, I do, too. <laughs> yeah. Um, it is a really big payoff in that, you know, if you do get to go to your next turn with it, you get to start drawing an extra card every turn. But typically with a five mana or five cost play like that, you need it to impact the board more than just draw that extra card. So I find that it typically is just attacking a lot. Um, and it is a reasonable body for doing that, but it's, it's four or five, right? Not what four. I, yeah, exactly. It's yeah. Uh, four strength, five willpower. So it, it does tussle really well with other against other cards, yeah. but that's not what I want to be doing with my powerhouse five drop in my you know mid rangey control deck. Yeah, I mean, look, it exerts to draw a card, and that's a powerful effect, right? Especially if your opponent doesn't have any characters on the table to to challenge back. Uh, one thing that I do want to note is that it gets absolutely squished by Maui Hero to All in the mirror matches. And so you're going to draw a card sometimes, but you're going to give your opponent maybe the most prime juicy target possible for their Mauis in a situation where normally Maui's not very good in the mirrors. Yeah, absolutely. And that actually is a huge um, baseline play pattern of the the mirror match of Ruby Amethyst is how do you make your map, your opponent's Maui's bad so that they have to ink them instead of, you know, turning them into a card or two. Right. Um, and a big part of that is actually Shield of Valor. Yeah, Shield of, Virtue. Shield of Virtue. That card has yeah. been really impressive to me uh, for a number of reasons. But uh, the thing that gets me going really well is the fact that you can ready your opponent's bodyguard characters with it. When my opponent did that to me the other day, I was like, huh, that card's a little bit better than I thought. Yeah, and that's like a crazy thing that, you know, we were talking this weekend and you mentioned that to me and I was like, you can do that. And like, I've been crushing with Ruby Amethyst and that just makes my deck even better, right? Yeah, it just adds more versatility to a card that's already pretty good. And, you know, we've we've seen uh, the big questers like Ursula, uh, you know, using the, the Shield of Virtue to ready it so that it can't be challenged just means that you're just going to chew them up over the course of just a few turns. And uh, on top of that, it just has extra utility for stopping bodyguards, uh, things like that. So very cool card is Shield of Virtue. Additional note, you can use it kind of like a ritual effect for your be prepared where you. Oh, to sing. Yeah. Very yep. cool. Yeah. So you just you get to quest with your Ursula, uh, ready it and then sing your be prepared for effectively three. All right. So. My personal experience playing on Pixelborn uh, has been just a ton of, uh, you know, the low to the ground Amber decks playing Lilo, Stitch, uh, Simba, Bodyguard, and also people playing Ruby Amethyst. Those are kind of like the two flavors of decks that I've been playing against a lot. And my builds of uh, Amber and Steel that I've been playing are kind of geared versus one and then geared versus the other. And I'm trying to find a way to split the difference. And the one uh, package that helps me attack the aggro decks is the steel Tinkerbell package, which is Tinkerbell three and then Tinkerbell giant fairy so that you can curve three into four shift and then use that to chew up the baby Lilos, maybe attack and kill a bodyguard and kill something else. And uh, whenever I play those cards, though, I just lean pretty hardcore into my opponent's interaction so that their Maui's and things of that nature are just like way more punishing. Whereas when I cut Tinkerbell, I'm able to play things like 
uh, Hercules three cost steel bodyguard and other ways that are just like more protective. And I just lean super hard into the stitch rockstar plus the whole new world, just like card advantage package where I just try to empty my hand as quickly as possible every single turn. Yeah, that's definitely a super uh, linear way to take it. Um, you do give up some points in your, you know, aggressive mirror matches doing it that way a little bit. Um, I personally have not been super fond of the, you know, hyper aggressive decks or even, you know, baseline aggressively slanted decks. Um, I, you know, in my history with Magic, I've always kind of gravitated towards those more controlling decks, but I've always really had a, you know, a fondness for attacking my opponent. Yeah. Um, and I think that those aggressive decks, because we don't have the perfect kind of supplement of card advantage engines to go with them, we have these really hyper-powerful ones like A Whole New World or Stitch Rockstar, but we don't have those, like we can't put three-drop Maleficent in every deck. Right? Yeah, you can only do that in Amethyst, um, and I think those types of things where you get to play to the board and generate an advantage, we need just we haven't hit that critical density yet for me to really enjoy playing the hyper aggressive decks. Yeah, um, I mean, so I, I definitely feel you, feel you on that. Um, so as far as the Ruby Amethyst deck is concerned. Um, I know you've been playing with it a decent amount and figuring out your build, but is there any deck that you've been working on specifically that you think uh, has a good shot against it? Yeah, so uh, my front runner at the moment for attacking Ruby Amethyst is actually Amethyst Steel. Um, Steel is probably my overall favorite um, color in Lorcana. It does a lot of things that I really like. It has uh, card advantage. It has removal. It has situational removal, which I like a lot more than things like uh, Dragonfire that just, you know, it's expensive, it's clunky, and it always does the thing. Yeah. I like having my more flexible cards that, you know, it makes it more challenging, and that ultimately makes it more rewarding when you win. Um, but I have really liked uh, Amethyst Steel. Uh, you get all the same card advantage elements that, Ruby Amethyst has because Ruby isn't actually very good at drawing cards. It just has yeah. all the big clunkers. Mm. Um, so you get Ursula, you get Elsa, you get uh, Magic Mirror, and you draw all your cards. And then you, instead of having Be Prepared and Dragonfire, you have cards like Smash and Grab Your Sword. And you get to nickel and dime your opponent a little bit better. And I've found that it's actually a bit better against the really aggressive decks because the Tinkerbell package in Steel is so much stronger yeah. against the the really aggressive decks than even Maui is. Oh, for sure. Uh, Tinkerbell, Giant Fairy just, you know, scoops them up when you're playing against a bunch of one-cost Lilos that, you know, just died to the trigger effect when it comes into play. And any other characters you have that are smaller uh, oftentimes in conjunction with just like one other character allows you to knock them down. And that's not even when you get to shift, when you get to shift and attack, you know, you just straight up destroy your opponent's entire board position when they're, you know, just spraying and praying. Yeah, absolutely. That's been, that's what makes uh Tinkerbell giant fairy so great, right? Is, is the shift mechanic. And one of the nice things about playing amethyst with the card is you get to play pocket watch. <laughs> Pocket Watch with Tinkerbell is a special hell that I have not been introduced yet, and I don't really. Oh want yeah, to. <laughs> so yeah, as soon as your opponent hits seven with a Pocket Watch, all hell breaks loose. It seems like I know that my experience with Pocket Watch and uh, was it Seven Drop Aladdin that steals lore. That one has been pretty disgusting against my aggressive decks for sure, and I can only imagine how much worse Tinkerbell would be because it just eats up more things as it attacks more. Yeah, absolutely. That's been um, one of the biggest draws for me to the deck is you don't have to set up your shift all the time. Your late game Tinkerbells just have rush. Um, so your opponent has to like be super respectful of the ability that you have to do that to them. Um, but then you also have Elsa, which punishes them in the opposite regard. Um, right. it, it sets them up for a nice little squeeze, which is really good for a deck like that. Um, honestly, the main reason, though, I like it is not that it just beats up on the aggro decks like that. It's that it actually, I feel, is a pretty solid favorite in the Amethyst Mirror versus the Ruby builds. 
That's interesting because I always thought, you know, be prepared, Maleficent, Monstrous Dragon. These were like the reasons to play the control deck. But the reasons to play the control deck, I think, are actually the card draw effects, the three cost Maleficent, the uh, friends on the other side, Magic Mirror. And so when you pair those with things that just naturally have board control elements like uh, Tinkerbell, Giant Fairy, or you know, the stuff from Ruby that, that destroys characters, you know, either direction you go, it's going to lend itself to the card draw package. And it just depends on like which one can empty their hand the fastest and utilize those extra resources and how those extra resources actually uh, affect the, the board state itself. Yeah, absolutely. And with those extra resources, if, if you break it down on its baseline, you know, Maleficent and Dragonfire, they just you end up just exchanging the resources right and the card advantage is what matters in the long run and a lot of that ultimately comes from magic mirror and activating that multiple times yeah and then using pocket watch to gain that additional tempo or shield of virtue to get those that additional attack in or a quest and an attack right yeah and those are the things that really add up once you both have that card advantage and the card that shifts that dynamic completely is beast five cost steel beast four four quests for two absolutely destroys the the amethyst mirror matches blowing up their items yeah there aren't very many cards in lorcana so far that interact with items i think there's two or at least that remove them from the table once they've already come into play and five cost steel beast is definitely the best for doing that uh, it's inkable, which I love. Uh, four four stats aren't the best, but it's still solid. Questing for two, you know, you can't really say anything bad about it. Uh, anything that has multiple utility points and is inkable, I think, is just a, a slam dunk. And most steel decks, I think, at least the ones like mine, mine is like really low to the ground, trying to abuse whole new world and stitch rockstar. So I'm not playing them in my am, amber steel deck. But if you're playing like mid range steel, big Tinkerbell. I think it'll be perfect. Yeah, Beast Beast has been an all-star for me. Um, you do ink it a lot, which is the point, right? Yeah. It's it's almost like if you compare it to Magic where you have sideboards, right? You don't get to have a sideboard in Lorcana, but you do get to play these situational cards if they can be inked. So you can have this really powerful item hate card that if your opponent's playing a deck that doesn't even have items... You can either play a five drop four four late in the game when you top deck it, or early on you just ink it and you just didn't miss your tempo. You know, not for sure. Um, I mean, one of the most fun parts about this game is that even when your bad card or not your bad card, even when your expensive cards are rotting in your hand, oftentimes they're inkable, so you can play them. And the ones that are not inkable are often like very light uh, additions to your deck where you don't want to go like all four of them or whatever, because, you know, you can only play so many non-inkables before you start really having hiccups on turns like four, five, six, where you're really trying to make sure that you can scale up with your your bigger and badder characters as the game progresses and your uh, bigger and better interaction like your Maui's, Dragon's Fires and all the way up to be prepared. So, you know, it's just a it's a really niche balancing act you have to do. And uh, the card that I think in Ruby Amethyst, that's the most uh you know, front and center for, for this as a talking point is has to be uh, Rafiki. What do you think about Rafiki? So I am really high on rush effects, as you may have guessed just from me being so high on Pocket Watch yeah. for giving my other things rush. Um, I have found that Rafiki is easily the best card you can have against the, the really aggressive Lilo decks because all of all of the games break down to whether they have Simba or not. And when they have Simba, you have to have something that gets through that Simba for you not to fall really far behind. And yeah, especially if it's protecting one cost Lilo, you know, the, the cheap double lore generators, like one, one cost Lilo, two costs, uh, uh, LeFou, the, the quest for two, the, those are just like early heavy pressures that if you don't have some way to, to protect yourself from the Simba bodyguard, or at least just to check those on the turn where you play your response. Like that's a full extra turn of questing. If your thing doesn't have rush that, you know, you, you might just fall so far behind that, uh, you, even if you start to actually be able to two for one them and, and catch up, you're still just like going to get burned out by a Lord generator sometimes. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so I, I have um, still been playing Rafiki and basically all my Amethyst decks um, that aren't like super aggressive. Any of my more mid-rangey and controlling Amethyst decks all have Rafiki. Um, I was trying Zeus for a while. Um, Zeus has some upsides of it can trade with a Cusco, which is a, a very, very powerful card that I think is not actually seeing enough play at the moment. Yeah, it's um, another uninkable, though, and Emerald's got a lot of good uninkables, so it's like hard to find the balancing act, but I think for Cusco is like pretty solid. Yeah, I, I think Cusco is pretty solidly the best Emerald card for me, um, and everything else kind of... I'm know, not going to fight you on it. Ranking. Yeah. I'm, I'm a big fan you of know, Genie on the Job, but I'm not going to fight you over its, its utility versus Cusco. <laughs> I will say Genie on the Job is my favorite Emerald card, but... I'm a realist, and Cusco, I think, is the best by a pretty good margin. Um, but so Zeus can trade with Cusco, which is kind of hard to do, actually, with, you know, attacking characters, especially in the more mid-rangey decks. Mm -hmm. um, Gaston is really good for that. But if you're not playing Ruby, that's really hard to do. Um, so Zeus helps a lot with, with that. And then Zeus also is a larger threat in, you know, your mid-range mirrors and control mirrors because he quests for two, where Rafiki only quests for one. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you don't oftentimes get your two cards out of your Zeus because he has zero uh, strength on defense. Right. Um, so I, I have shifted back to playing Rafiki, um, and Rafiki is just, you know, bread and butter. We, we used to call him two-for-ones in Magic. Uh, Rafiki is just a great card. He also is not super expensive so he doesn't rot in your hand even though he's uninkable yeah um and the thing the trick with him i think is you just have to bite the bullet and play him a lot of the times even if he doesn't have anything to rush into and just you know keep playing to the board no i feel you i, I think one thing people try to do in any game that i play is they try to be cute and they try to surprise the opponent and oftentimes it's just better to be more efficient and so even if you're not Playing it to rush and challenge something on three, you should still play it on three most of the time. Just because it's a three-three, it's a you know, it's a pretty decent sized body. It does quest. It also sings friends on the other side. And if you're playing another color like emerald, it can also sing mother knows best. Uh, so yeah, definitely just play your cards, get them on the table. Absolutely. All right. Uh, so that's kind of the state of the metagame right now. We we're looking forward to chapter two, but we still have plenty of tournaments uh, coming up. And the one tournament that I really want to focus on and showcase is the Lost Boys Invitational hosted by Apex Gaming. And this is an event that you yourself, Harlan, are going to be qualified for and playing in. And this event is going to be on October 20th weekend at the Apex Gaming Home Store in Caldwell, Ohio. Big shout out to Apex Gaming, not only for helping to organize and run the event, but for also just being cool people that I really like hanging out with and talking to. Uh, we're going to be having 16 players for this main event. Uh, 12 of them are guests that are invited, and four of them are winners uh, that have won their seats. And the way that we're going to be doing this is on September 30th, uh, at the Caldwell, Ohio home store of Apex Gaming, we'll have an invitational qualifier where we're going to have $2,000 cash up for grabs on the line as well as a qualification. Uh, and then we're going to be doing the exact same thing on October 14th, $2,000 up for grabs and a qualification. Uh, on Friday, 1020, before the event itself, which starts on Saturday, 1021, we're going to be doing two last chance qualifiers. And these last chance qualifiers will uh, grant you entry into the 16 person $5,000 invitational. How's that sound? That sounds super exciting. I am hyped to come so, back kind of out of retirement. <laughs> <laughs> I know, uh, I, I know you're itching, itching to battle. Uh, who have you been playtesting with so far? So I haven't been doing a ton of focused playtesting yet. Um, I am working with uh, Brennan DeCandio and Mason Clark for the event. Um, they are both qualified competitors like me. Um, and we will be doing some focus testing as we get closer. Um, but, you know, we're about a month out still at this point. Yeah. And, you know, unfortunately, we all have kind of shifted to professionally doing other things than just card games. So we don't have as much free time as we used to, to just, you know, jam games on repeat. Um, so a lot of my testing right now is still Pixelborn based. 
um, usually just, you know, queuing on the ladder, um, which honestly I think is really good, especially when you're trying to get more just reps with a deck in general. I think playing random matches is actually better than focus testing because you're more likely to actually kind of trick yourself or trap yourself into an idea that may not actually be true focus testing too early. Yeah, when I play test for any game, uh, I like, you know, uh, Forge and Fire Theory or whatever. You just want to run it up against as much stuff as you can, as quickly as you can. And it's way more important learning whether or not your cards do what you think they're going to do or what you want them to do than it is to really even track wins and losses. Because the wins and losses will come based on how you analyze your data and how you figure out uh, whether or not your cards actually work in the archetype that you're playing. And, um, you know, I, I think that that's definitely something people really lock on to too much is how do I beat Ruby Amethyst? And if I'm being honest, I, I doubt more than a handful of people actually bring Ruby Amethyst to the event itself for a couple of reasons. Uh, first off, uh, the, the matches just take so long. <laughs> you just take, you know, the entirety of the time to play Ruby Amethyst. Uh, and if, and that's not even counting like a mirror match, the mirror matches pretty regularly go to time. And that's something that we're working on trying to fix for the invitational itself. Uh, initial plans were to do best of one. We we're going to do best of one rounds with uh, 30 minute rounds, but we got tournament guidelines from uh, Ravensburger and Disney's Lorcana. And so we're going to try to follow those and they recommend best of three, even though there's no sideboard, not a big deal. We're just going to run it like that and hope, hope for the best. Uh, the structure itself is something that I'm pretty excited about. And I, I I've told you and, and we have it in the discord and uh, I'll pull it up in just a second, but uh let's see if i can find it real quick yeah i think um your your baseline uh idea for it is that you have to get to three wins to make it into the second day effectively if you 3-0 you immediately pass through don't scoop me this is my thing you're i'm trying to fill the time for you this is what editing is for okay oh that's fair (laughs) this is recorded this is not a stream Okay, so I have the uh, the thing in front of me, and this this is the tournament structure. This is what I came up with, and everyone seems pretty happy with it. So on day number one, we have 16 players. We're going to split them into two pods of eight. Uh, if you 3-0 your pod, you automatically advance to the top eight into day two. You don't have to play anymore. That means that two people will have perfect records after the first pod, and they'll advance to top eight. They'll be 3-0. Uh, the two players who O3 their first pod are also eliminated. That means that once you've hit that third loss in the first pod, you're gone. And that, you know, that's rough, but O3 is O3. And I don't know too many tournaments where you start O3 and you still have a chance to win. And I think that it's fine to do that here as well. Um, there's going to be 12 people in limbo after that. You're going to have six players with a two and one record. And then you're going to have six players with a one and two record. We're going to be splitting those into uh, elimination pods of six where all the two ones will play one match and all the one, two players will play one match. The two, one players that win will automatically advance to day two. That means they've picked up their third win. The losers will go down to an elimination pod. The one, two players, if they lose, they're out. They've gotten their third match loss. They're done. And the those players that win will be two and two, and they'll battle the two and one players that lost in another elimination pod, where it's just going to be two elimination pods back to back. So essentially, you're right. The gist is you got to get three wins to advance to day two. And if you take three losses, you're out. Now, the players that advance to day number two, uh, there should be... Uh, Let's see, eight players left starting on day two, and what we're going to do is we're just going to have a normal uh, single elimination top eight bracket, and whoever gets to choose the to be on the play will be based on when you picked up your third win. So the two 3-0 players will be uh, first and second seed, essentially going into day two. Uh, the players who were 2-1 and then won the winner's pod will have the next tiebreaker and so forth. We're going to do additional tiebreakers that we haven't figured out yet. It's not that it's not that big of a deal right now, but that's kind of where I'm at. Harlan, give me your honest thoughts of this structure, and do you think it's going to work out very well or not? 
Yeah, I I actually really like the structure. I've played in a few of these, you know, kind of invite only small tournament field weird structured events. Um, I really like the simplicity of you're trying to get to three wins before you get to three losses. If you get to three losses, you're out. Super easy, super simple to digest. Um, It doesn't have all these convoluted layers of I have to do this here and then this here. It it does have a little bit of that, but it literally just breaks down to you have to get to three wins before you get to three losses. Yeah, and uh, the prize payouts for this are going to be pretty great as well. Um, we have some sponsors that we're going to be announcing really soon that are going to help us pay for the prize pool and such. But first place up top is going to be $2,000. $2,000 the first. Uh, second place is $1,000. Third and fourth each get $500. And then fifth through eighth each get $250 in cash. And uh, everyone else... Bottom eight gets a hundred dollar store credit as a thank you. Have fun the rest of the weekend. Go buy some booster packs. <laughs> Are they going to have booster packs? I hope so. I hope so. We're we're hopefully trying to. We're, we've been reaching out to Robinsberger, uh, looking for a little help in terms of just getting physical product to to give away for prizing, as well as to offer drafts and seal decks and things of that nature. We're trying to blow it up, man. We're really trying to do something really special, and um, we're also not just having the invitational on ten twenty weekend. We're also going to have two large open events on those days as well. So even if you're not qualified for the invitation, you can come hang out and play. We're going to have a $2,000 open on Saturday and a $2,000 open on Sunday as a celebration of Lorcana and our first big event as uh, Lorcana organized play entities. And um, I'm really excited about it. Yeah, it's going to be an awesome weekend. Um, make sure you come out to Ohio if you want to, you know, meet the Lost Boys in person. Um, see me crush a, a small field event. Like back in the day, yeah, it should be, be fun. I'm really yeah. excited to to see what you actually end up bringing. I know that when it comes down to the last like two weeks, you're gonna just put your nose to the grindstone and just like figure out your perfect sixty. And uh, I'm I'm just ready to look at the decks because this is gonna be a really tight field full of some really stone cold killers from the Magic uh, world, including the reigning Magic world champion Nathan Stoyer. How do you feel? playing against someone of that caliber at this early on in the Lorcana organized play? Uh, you know me. I'm always hungry for competition more than anything. Um, honestly, I've been meaning to reach out to Nathan about riding together because he lives uh, a couple hours from me. <laughs> okay, all right. Okay. <laughs> and it's, it's a few-hour drive. Um, I'm not, you know, super sweating anybody in the event. You know, I'm coming in, you know, with the goal and expectation that I absolutely can win the event. Um, and what you were saying about grinding out the perfect 60, that's the beauty of Lorcana. I don't have to get it perfect. I can just ink the bad ones. That's true. That's true. As long as you make sure you have at least 47 inkables, that's my, that's my line right now. That's a soft line. I've had a couple decks that was only, there was 15 non inkables. Things got a little hairy when you started hitting your, missing your fifth ink drop, you know? Yeah, it's funny. I'm actually super low on non inkable cards in general. Like, I, absolutely would love to be playing like 56 inkables if possible yeah. but i also have a couple decks built that are like 42 inkables because i think you need those the specific cards that i have as your top end to put away games a lot of that is a balancing mechanism right they they literally designed some of these cards because they're able to push them pretty aggressively if they're not inkable uh, Mother Knows Best, I think, is actually the one that gets me the like excites me the most. Right. If it were inkable, I think it would be a 10 out of 10. And it's already like a six or seven out of 10. And there's not very many ways that you can interact with your opponent in Emerald without, you know, splashing into a different color. And, um, you know, Mother Knows Best plus Genie on the Job just give you two really strong ways, but they're both unequable as a drawback. And you see that in uh, Ruby as well. Be prepared is not inkable. Dragon's Fire is not inkable. And so if you're in situations where you just draw two, three, four of these cards out of your first 15 cards, sometimes that's going to really stifle your early development and make it so you don't even get to the point where those cards are actually good. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I actually personally think that Mother's knows, Mother Knows Best would be totally fine at inkable especially with 
uh, let it go being inkable at five and everything. I do think um, I I think Sapphire needs some help. The more I've played with Sapphire, the more I'm like, that eh, let it go probably should be should be inkable. <laughs> well, let it go is inkable. No, I know. That's I'm saying like, it should not be nerfed or whatever. Need the help. I, yeah. I think Emerald needs a bit of the help too. And also if you just compare um, the other two colors with a similar setup, which are Ruby and uh, Sapphire to Emerald, Ruby has Maleficent, which is inkable, and Dragonfire that isn't. Mm-hmm. And then they have uh, Sapphire has Hades that isn't, and Let It Go that is. And then Emerald has Genie on the Job, and Mother Knows Best, and they both aren't. So I, I do think they probably could have let one um, come through. Um, well, look, I do think- it's set one, okay? It's set one. They're not going to knock yeah, it apart balance-wise. And for, for one set, it's pretty darn good. I've been really seeing the points where they turn the knobs, right? Like, you can always Absolutely. find those cards where uh it's pretty clear like it was one cheaper at some point and someone was like no 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 or it was inkable at some point probably and they're like i think maybe we need to turn that off to make it a little bit weaker because otherwise it's just a an automatic four of right like and to me that's one of the coolest parts about building decks so far with chapter one absolutely all right, well, uh, that's going to move us on to our next and maybe final segment this week, and that's Card of the Week. All right, Harlan, what's your Card of the Week? It, it, no parameters or whatever, just what's your yeah, card that you're really jamming on right now? It might be a bit of a blindside here because I haven't really talked about these decks or this card yet so far in this episode. But the card of the week for me, honestly, is Lantern. Lantern? I actually really, really liked Lantern for accelerating out a very, very early Stitch Rockstar, you know. Yeah, turn three Stitch Rockstar is incredible, especially when you're on the play. It's I... I would venture to guess that the your win percentage when doing that is like 80% or something crazy, maybe higher. Yeah. Um, but so Lantern, it enables those, you know, quote unquote, nut draws of, you know, putting a stitch in play on turn three. But it also, one of the things that I have found that the Amber decks struggle the most with is when you don't have your hyper aggressive draw and you're playing an aggro matchup, you very quickly fall behind because your your things aren't sized appropriately for challenges. Right. Um, you're you're basically always trying to get out ahead and then defend against their challenges with your your bodyguards and such. And you aren't really set up to play from behind. And Lantern is the card that kind of facilitates you being ahead on curve still, so that you can get ahead, um, and not fall behind in those games. Yeah, the one one thing I've been comparing it to is so Amber is like very character dense in what you're trying to do. And so in a lot of ways, Lantern is just Amber's version of one jump ahead. And while one jump ahead is a song and this is an item, you know, uh, if if all you're doing in your entire deck is playing characters, it's effectively the same thing. But on the turn where you play a lantern, you can still play a one cost character. And so in a lot of ways, it's kind of like a one cost accelerant instead of a two cost accelerant uh, because you often get the rebate on the turn you play it. And in other games, you know, we compare that to like Mindstone and Magic, um, you know, and that's the type of thing where like you can play it on, on one turn and use it in the same turn. And then on the next turn, it, you still have that one size greater uh, increase in resources. Yeah, absolutely. That that one turn of one ink production changes it from a good card to a great card very quickly and easily. And even when you're not playing it on turn two and playing a one ink, a one cost card with it, you can play it on turn three and still play a two drop. Yeah, for sure. Um, which is very powerful. You know, it's it's really easy to fit into curve and not feel like you are investing so much in this card like one jump ahead where if you don't do that on turn two it feels like you never get to do it until it's already dead in your hands right um i'm i'm excited about some some cards in the future that pay you off for playing songs uh there's a new seven cost cinderella from chapter two that whenever you play a song you can uh 
challenge ready characters with the Cinderella. And awesome. that makes uh, playing things like one jump ahead, like a lot more desirable because they're great early, but they're also still functional later in the game. And we see a couple things like uh, there's a, a seven drop Mickey that cares about playing, uh, you know, the, the songs or whatever, but I just need more. I need more ways to make one jump ahead. Good. But the way that Amber makes lantern good is by always having a character to play. And when you're always having a character to play, you're always getting full value out of the card and uh, when you play Stitch Rockstar or you splash for steel so you can play a whole new world, that's what I'm doing in my deck that I love. And it's been gangbusters and Lantern's been quite good in those decks. Obviously, a really bad draw late game uh, because it's just not a character when you're trying to do like Stitch Rockstar stuff. But there's very little in comparison to it in, in the amber color. And so if you don't play, you just don't have access to that effect unless you're playing one jump ahead. And if you're going to do that, you might as well just play Lantern anyway. So, Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's a very powerful and unique effect that Amber doesn't have access to otherwise. And it has really impressed me recently. And that's why it's my card of the week. All right. Well, my card of the week and perhaps a controversial take, but I'm going to say Maui hero to all. And as someone who has not played a ton of Ruby Amethyst, I have been getting slaughtered by by Maui hero to all. And, and I know that when I play the Ruby Amethyst mirror matches, it gets inked a bunch, but in every other matchup, it's just like your best card because it's killing a thing and surviving most of the time. Yeah, it it it's a such a unique card in that it kills something and then it's going to do it again. So they have to take their time to kill it themselves with another card. Yep. Just so you don't get to pick. It's yeah. it's pretty messed up. It's it's like uh if you are previously a magic player, it's like terminate chainer's edict split card. Yeah, I mean, it comes down and blows something up and it's still going to threaten to blow something else up because it's enormous. But the coolest thing about it, if you ask me, is that it can't quest, right? And and for Maui, he's just stuck being a golden god in the middle of nowhere, being a, you know, a complete Chad, but just has nowhere to go. And so whenever anyone shows up, though, he just wants to brawl. He wants to get him in there. And so to me, it's just like a perfect encapsulation of just like a, a wild god or whatever. So, yeah. Do you, do you know what your Maui says every time you want to quest it and you can't? What does he say? He says, you're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> All right. So that's my card of the week. Well, Harlan, uh, we're going to call it a little early here because uh, mostly I don't really have a whole lot else to talk about. We're we're really excited about the future of tournaments coming up, but so far it's been mostly just Ruby Amethyst and some various aggressive decks featuring, you know, uh, Simba Protector. And uh, that's kind of where the metagame's at right now. And uh, I'm looking forward to, to finding out some decks that can can beat either of these. But we we have another set on the horizon and we're going to be spending a lot of our time in the coming weeks talking about these new cards. Uh, we did a video last week on the Lost Boys channel where we went over all the new cards that have been previewed thus far. But there's one new card that I want to ask you about before we go. OK, oh, hit me. It's I'm stuck. Have you seen I'm Stuck? <laughs> I have seen I'm Stuck. So th um, this is a, a one-cost Amethyst card uh, that's inkable, and it's got Winnie the Pooh as, a, as the titular character on the card, and he's stuck in a little hole trying to get some honey, a thing that happens to Winnie the Pooh Bear all the time. And the card itself is actually pretty sweet. It says uh, target character uh, cannot ready next turn. So if they've quested with it or played it as a bodyguard or whatever, you can stall it out for a turn so that you can catch up and find Maui Hero to all or some other way to answer their character. Or it gives you a full extra turn to ignore it if you're chaining off a drop Elsa's and questing for huge amounts of lore. Yeah, absolutely. I think that the card right now, I don't think it would see a bunch of play. Mm. I think it, it's a card that you might play one, maybe two of just because it's inkable. And when it comes up situationally, it'll be good. Um, what I'm really excited for is if they make another character, like maybe a Winnie the Pooh that does it on 
when it comes into play. That would be oh, really cool. Oh, cool. So yeah. they you just kind of ice them. Yeah, that'd be sweet. Uh, I know that the three cost Elsa that that does exert an opposing character is is quite good in some situations. On top of being uh, a shift target for a drop Elsa, which is maybe the best finisher in the game. Um, but did you see the Honey Wizard? The, they, they actually came out with a different Winnie the Pooh character for the next set I've too. Not seen the Honey Wizard. Uh, five cost Amethyst Inkable. It's a five five quest for two. It's enormous for the cost. Right, five yeah, five a, that's two. That's a big stat line, and it's inkable. Everyone is like razzing it because they don't understand that it's just the biggest thing at five that that exists in the game. That's not Maui, and they think that it's just like a no abilities thing, but it, it's ability that is big. Yeah, I I, I think um, <laughs> I think that's something that a lot of people have not uh, explored yet or have figured out is that stats matter. Yes, they um, do. Ju- like we come from at least you and I come from a world of magic where it's like everything has to have a come into play effect or some crazy ability. But this is, it's like magic mixed with hearthstone. You do just need raw stats to trade your cards for their cards. Right. And I think the, the, a card that you're really high on uh mini mouse, the two, three is uh, an underplayed card. I think those two, the two cost two threes are very good. Um, I think everyone hates them. Everyone, yeah, like it, everyone, sees Simba and they're like, "Oh yeah, Simba's good. It has bodyguards protecting." And th- but they don't understand that just a two three for two is good. Like there's no three twos for two. Or sorry, maybe there, there's one three power character for two, as far as I know, as well yeah. as Gaston, which can't can't uh, quest. But like everything else is just a two two or two one, yeah. and so the two threes just chew them up. And at the very least, you can start questing, and your opponent can't challenge them until they play something that costs more than two. Yeah, absolutely. And th- one of the cards that I've seen pop up in a lot of Amber Steel mid-range decks that are very focused on, you know, going longer and not being as aggressive as what you've been playing, they play four copies of Cerberus. It's it's a That's steel a five cost five six that quests for one, and they play it just for the raw stats and how powerful it is with a card like Rapunzel. It's slow Maui, and baby. Ex- exactly. <laughs> and you know, when there are these decks succeeding doing that, just because a card has raw stats, having a five cost five five that quests for two is good if that's what other people are doing. Yeah. All right. So uh, as we get closer to the invitational at Apex Gaming on ten uh, twenty, we'll be checking in with Harlan to to check out his playtesting progression, see his week to week, as he's figuring out new cars, new strategies that he might be bringing to the tournament. Uh, but that's going to do it for this episode of The Lost Boys. Big shout out to our newest member of The Lost Boys, Harlan Fear. Thank you so much for being here and talking to us about Lorcana, this game that we are all still new at and still bad at, but still getting better and learning and loving. Yeah, I'm happy to be along for the ride. Yep, and I want to say a big shout out to our sponsors, Games and Comics Paradise out of Fairfax, Virginia. Games and Comics Paradise is a full-fledged LGS that has everything you need for uh, TCGs from Magic the Gathering to Yu-Gi-Oh! to Disney's Lorcana. Make sure to check out GCParodice.com for all of your gaming needs. That's GCParodice.com. Uh, all right, that's going to do it for this week's episode of the Lost Boys Podcast. Thanks for watching, everyone. We'll see you next time. Until then, bangerang. Bangerang.